Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Dementia is an overall term for a set of symptoms caused by disorders affecting the brain. Because of the coronavirus, individuals living with dementia may be at greater risk of severe illness due to dementia-related behaviors, increased age, and common health conditions that often accompany dementia. Additionally, the coronavirus can disrupt the routines of patients living with dementia and separate them from their loved ones. Today, my guest is Karen Love, Executive Director of the Dementia Action Alliance, also known as DAA, and Chuck McClatchy, who is living with dementia and is a DAA Advisory Board member. Karen and Chuck will talk about diagnosis and management of dementia symptoms and explain why and how the pandemic has affected people living with dementia. They'll also provide information about the DAA and other organizations that can help persons living with dementia, along with their care partners and families. So welcome, Karen and Chuck, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Well, Chuck, let's start with you. Let's get a little bit of uh, understanding of what is dementia and explain to our listeners, is dementia the same as Alzheimer's? Oh, thank you for the question. It's it's probably one of the most misunderstood items there is with dementia. Um, I, I could best describe it as um, comparing dementia to cancer. When you have cancer, then everybody says, well, what type of cancer do you have? Because you can have breast cancer, you can have, um, you know, uh, stomach cancer, throat cancer. There are many, many different types of cancer you can have. Well, the same is true with dementia. Dementia actually is the umbrella. That's what all of these fall into. And you have uh, Alzheimer's, Lewy body, frontal lobe, and now you have CTE and vascular and, and even MCI are all under this you know, umbrella of dementia. They all cause the same thing, which is a slow dying of the brain, which is what causes the dementia. So there are um, a lot of different types of it, and they're coming up with more and more. But it, it's really misunderstood that dementia is what happens, and the diseases are what's, what's physically causing it. And, and just kind of as a sub-question to that, Chuck, is most of the dementia that we hear about and see Alzheimer's, or is, is, are there others that are as well-known as Alzheimer's? 
Um, Alzheimer's is the most known um, and most of the cases of dementia come from Alzheimer's disease. But like I said, there are many, many others. There is Lewy body, uh, frontal lobe, vascular, CTE, and, and just there's a lot more even than that that are in smaller groups, but they all just, all of them together uh, cause the same thing, which is dementia. Okay. Well, and Karen, talk about the symptoms of dementia. And, and is there some sort of a categorization for these symptoms? What, what could you tell us about that? Well, often you'll hear uh, doctors and others refer to stage stages, um, maybe stages one through seven. And uh, our organization is an advocacy and education organization. And we suggest looking, categorizing them by symptoms. So mild symptoms, moderate symptoms, advanced symptoms, for example. And as Chuck mentioned, while there are many different types of dementia, not all the dementias have similar symptoms, but there are some general symptoms that um, persist throughout the, the different varieties. And probably the most common um, has to do with memory. So memory loss, and that can be, for example, that you know, you're sitting down talking to a friend or a spouse and you say something and then you forget that you just maybe told a story or, you know, mentioned something and you say it again and then you repeat it again. Um, so that's considered a memory loss, the same as maybe not remembering an event um, that happened. Um, difficulty finding words is, is also um, common and um, uh, some people experience problems with visual and spatial abilities which accounts for getting lost while driving. That's a pretty common thing, especially with Alzheimer's type of dementia. Um, as the frontal toe lobe gets affected, uh, it impacts the ability for executive functions, such as problem solving and handling complex tasks. Reasoning um, can be impacted and difficulty with planning and organizing. Some of the dementias, such as Lewy body uh, and frontal temporal, have, um, well, I guess all dementias can conceivably have hallucinations, but they're more common um, in those. And it can be hallucinations of all types, um, visual, auditory, smell. Um, sometimes people will smell smoke um, when there, there is no smoke. Um, and as the brain cells deteriorate and degrade in the brain, it impacts the ability to do more and more things um, to the point where it can um, impact the ability to do everyday life tasks. And I guess as a, again, a sub-question for you, Karen, in terms of, you had mentioned a little earlier about mild, moderate, severe is there, does the time in which it moves from one uh, category, if you will, to the next, does that vary with individuals? 
It, it does. And that's another reason why we really don't support a staging mindset, because then people are focused on, you know, fitting into a particular staging box when it doesn't really follow that trajectory. So, for example, um, if somebody has living with dementia has had uh, a really poor night of sleep, that can significantly affect their concentration and um, cognitive ability that next day. But yet the following day, maybe following a, a very good night of sleep, um, you know, they're doing fine on those things. So there are a lot of variables that can impact. And so we really just uh, recommend focusing on, you know, the symptoms that are presenting at any particular time. There's a whole nother, um, and this is still evolving science, but there's a whole nother level, and that is um, brain research. So sometimes people, and it seems to be those that are um, higher educated and maybe have had uh, either interest or job positions where they've had to use a lot of uh, cognition, um, you know, a lot of brain thought. And um, so there's more cognitive development. And for those individuals, they are able to um, either mask, find other ways to get things done, but, but they can have pretty significant uh, if you were to look at a, a PET scan, for example, you would see pretty significant deterioration, but yet their symptoms don't necessarily mirror the same. So all this to say that when you've seen one individual, you've just seen one individual because there's so many variables that can impact. Okay, well, that's a good segue into my next question to Chuck, which is, what can people diagnosed with dementia do to come to terms with their diagnosis? And as part of that response, Chuck, do the approaches really differ for individuals? What would you tell us? Uh, so that is a great question. Um, actually, every individual is different. Every individual has a completely different set of symptoms. It, it, it is all on how the disease is affecting their brain. Um, it, you have to give somebody that has been diagnosed, you know, an understanding that they've just received a diagnosis of a terminal disease, that eventually this disease will kill them. You have to give them some time to, you know, go through the complete gambit of, of emotions, anger, frustration, denial, all of this, uh, that, that's a normal reaction to this. But then there comes a, a, a period when I, I think you really have to make a conscious decision that you have to say, you know, okay, yes, I have this disease, now what? You know, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? Because you have a while to live, which um, in the beginning sometimes is hard to understand. And one of the best things people can do is become involved in support groups where they're around other people that are living with the same thing. And they can see people that are, you know, five, 10, maybe 15 years into the diagnosis. And, you know, it, it takes that they're not alone. 
and they're not going to be, you know, they're not dying tomorrow. Um, but every individual is different. Uh, what works for one person does not work for another. And that's where the, the communication process, when you have a, a, a diagnosis of any kind of dementia is so important because dementia is not an individual disease. Uh, dementia is a family disease. It affects everybody in that family. So the more communication and the more, you know, you, you, you talk with the person that has the disease and get everybody involved where everybody kind of understands what's going on because the stress of this disease is unfathomable sometimes. Um, caregivers a lot of times will actually pass away before the person with the disease does. That's how much stress there is. But it, it is nowhere near a one size fits all. Uh, like Karen said, you know, when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person. And every single person is different. And every, every person has their own passions and, and what they want to live for and what they want to do. So, you know, everything is different and it's um, completely family oriented. Well, and we're going to be talking a little bit later about how the organizations that both of you are affiliated with can help. And to your point, Chuck, I also now wanted to get really one of the main purposes of this program, and we're going to direct this question at Karen, about how has the pandemic experience affected people living with dementia? Tell us about that. Well, as you can imagine, um, it has affected them significantly. It's affected all of us significantly in that um, our routines have been disrupted and the, the ways of getting together, we've just gone through the Thanksgiving and, and other holidays and those have been disrupted. But for people living with dementia, it is more pronounced. So again, going back to um, you know what symptoms, if they have mild symptoms, then the disruption is probably most significant or the, the pandemic is affecting them most significantly in the disruption of their daily routines and the ability to connect and get together with loved ones. As the um, increase of symptoms um, are, are more uh, pronounced, the impact of the pandemic is more pronounced because they're not necessarily understanding the why their routine has changed or why they're not seeing and getting together routinely. They just know that something has you know, changed very significantly and then can't understand what it is. And for those individuals that live in residential care, such as assisted living or a nursing home, it's been actually traumatic and has um, impacted their well-being because for, uh, since, well, I guess in March there was a lockdown. We didn't know as a, a country, as the public health officials, we didn't know exactly what we were dealing with, how contagious, what were the best ways to impact it. And so um, the response was to just shut everything down and not allow any visitors in whatsoever. And that long time of 
you know, not being able to see people has really impacted um, upon the health and well-being. And just now trying to, you know, find ways to come out of this um, and allow more, um, you know, sort of safe visits. Some countries, such as in Australia, um, have managed this well from the very beginning. You know, they had safeguards in place and they recognized how important it was and they never completely um, shut off visitation. We haven't had the resources, the ability to do quick um, testing, you know, that would allow visitors in the building. So um, this has been very, very disruptive um, to them. And, and Chuck, maybe, um, you know, I, as one person living with dementia, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how it's impacted you. You know, it hasn't impacted your golf game. <laughs> well, and, and in fact, that thank you, Karen. That was a good segue back to Chuck. I I wanted to get even more specific. I mean, what we've been hearing in the last, what, almost nine, ten months here is these requirements to wear a mask, wash hands, use hand sanitizer, stay at home. Chuck, talk to us a little bit about how that really, those directives affect life for people living with dementia. Oh, it, it affects them a lot. Um, because a lot of times what happens, especially if the person, say, lives by themselves or is um, alone some of the times, which a lot of times happen when, you know, one of the care partners has to has to work. Well, they actually forget that something is going on. So they may go outside and if they're used to walking to the store, they may walk to the store and just walk in, you know, not understanding that they have to, they, that they need a mask, you know, and uh, that, you know, to wash your hands and, and to, you know, avoid contact or, or social distancing or anything. Um, and it, it, it can really have, you know, an adverse effect. Um, when, you know, there, I, I think that what kind of what uh, Karen said, a lot of people with dementia are getting are, are into a routine where they do kind of the same thing every day. Well, when they can't do that, then they they don't understand why. And a lot of them, you know, maybe they watch TV. Well, there have been a lot of uh, items on TV where it shows people not wearing masks. So, you know, that's kind of put in their mind. Well, okay, well, maybe I, I don't have to. And, you know, they get confused um, because it's, it's like everything is different. They don't understand why this is going on. And you have to have that constant contact with them and to, to reaffirm, well, this is what's going on. This is why you have to wear a mask. Uh, this is why this has to happen. And you may have to have this continuously with this person because they don't remember and they forget the concept of, of something is there that could possibly harm them. And they just want to do things the way that they used to do it. And for right now, they can't. And I suspect you would reinforce what Karen's saying also. And you mentioned it a little bit, Chuck, about the social distancing with family and friends. I imagine that must be very difficult if they were used to being around family or friends before COVID. Would you agree? Exactly. It can be horrendous. I have a friend that I play golf with. He's been married for uh, 59 years. 
and his uh, wife has been in a care community um, since late last year. And he has not been able to see her in person since March. And uh, I think last, I think Friday was her 80th birthday. So she got to sit in front of a window, you know, where he could see her. And if you could imagine what that's, what that's like for somebody that, you know, you can't go in and touch him, you can't be around him. Um, it is, it has a complete effect on people. But what he did is he bought one of these um, video transformers from uh, Amazon where it's in her room. And he has the ability just to turn it on and start talking with her. Um, the bad point of that is she would be in a different part of the room and hear his voice and not know where to go to, to talk to him, uh, wondering what he's doing there. So, you know, there's some technical issues that people have to kind of work out. So he worked out that one of the attendants would come in and says, hey, your husband is going to be calling you right here. And so that worked out a lot better. But you know, there are technical things that can be done, but it's still, it, it, it's out of the complete norm for, you know, people with dementia and they can't understand why. I had a lady that she's a care, caregiver and her husband had to go to the emergency room uh, and was admitted to the hospital. Well, it was a while she couldn't go with him. He asked the nurse the next morning had his wife divorced him because she wasn't there. And so that's the kind of things that can happen with people with dementia. And it, it, it just, um, it's sad, but, you know, this is kind of the reality of what's happening right now. So what I'm hearing you say is that, that technology could be a successful tool, uh, especially to address this, this issue of social distancing, but may part of it have something to do with, again, the severity of the symptoms? Or Help us understand a little bit more. You explained about this one type of technology, but um, are there different ones? How would that work, that it could be successful? Yes, what you said was perfectly correct. It kind of depends on what level that they can comprehend. Um, in the early stages, like I am right now, I, I can operate Zoom, I can operate a computer. Um, but as things progress on, they may not be able to operate a computer even to the point of, you know, opening an email and clicking on a link. So somebody may have to do that for them. Um, but if they do it for them, maybe they still want that interpersonal relationship that you can have on a Zoom meeting. Um, I'm part of three or four different Zoom meetings during the week that um, we have people of, of varying stages and some of the people have to have help to get on. They love being on it. It, it really fills a void that they have a, you know, kind of companionship with people. They can see people, they can interact. And the most important thing of somebody with dementia is have that interaction to keep their minds and, and, and brains active, um, talking, communicating, laughing. Uh, humor is so important when you have dementia that uh, we always on these Zooms, we laugh with each other. Oh gosh, you wouldn't believe what I did today. And we all laugh and it takes a lot of that stress and, and my gosh, what's happening to me and kind of puts it, you know, puts it away for a while 
where somebody can just honestly communicate, talk back and forth, laugh to back and forth. You can ask questions. And anytime you can help somebody stay active, regardless of what you have to do for them, I think is so important for their complete well-being. So what you're saying, Chuck, is, is that for you uh, right now, living at home during the pandemic and implementing the safety measures or the mandates, that has not really had any impact on your dementia symptoms? What's been the situation for you? For me, um, I think I have declined some in the past year. Um, I was used to doing traveling and doing speaking engagements and, and being extremely active that way. And, you know, everything changed uh, almost, you know, overnight. And um, Bobby and I, she's my life partner. We, we talk, we communicate about this all the time. And she has noticed that I have declined. And I think it's a combination of people living with dementia have a level of stress all of the time because of what's happening to us. And now what's happened is people are stressed out over what's happening to everybody. Well, we're stressed out too on top of our stress because of our disease. So we have twice the stress of most people right now. And stress is not good. You know, you have to find ways to deal with it. Um, and the communications and talking and interaction is a way of it. But I think every person living with dementia in the past year has suffered to a point uh, with this pandemic. And I'm sure that people with living with dementia deal with the same kind of depression that we all do as to when will, the, when will this end? Would you agree? Oh, yes, by all means. It, you know, we, we, like, especially with me, I try to worry about today. And I do what I'm supposed to do today and have, I try to uh, laugh and joke and, and, you know, make jokes and, and make people laugh. And, um, but ever so often, you know, you just have, you, you sit back at a quiet time and in your mind, your mind goes, what in the heck is going on? When is this going to end? You know, we are normal people. Our brains, we can't turn them off all of the time. So yes, we do get depressed. Um, for me, I'm able to fight out of it. And because I, I do so much, I'm such an advocate. And, and with all the things that I do, I stay busy a lot, which helps. But it, it's still there in the back of our minds exactly what's going on. Everything that, you know, the, the political climate, the pandemic, everything is still there in our minds, too. You know, we we consciously try not to worry about it, but it's still there and we stress just like everybody else. Totally understand. Well, we're going to take a short break right now. We are talking with Karen Love, Executive Director of the Dementia Action Alliance, and Chuck McClatchy, who is living with dementia, and he's also a member of the Dementia Action Alliance Advisory Board. And you are listening to WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. 
Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Welcome back. We are talking with Karen Love, Executive Director of the Dementia Action Alliance, and Chuck McClatchy, who is living with dementia and is also on the advisory board of the Dementia Action Alliance. And before the break, Chuck was explaining some of the uh, feelings and and, uh, impact that safety mandates um, might have on people living with dementia. And before we move on, Karen, you wanted to say a couple of words about safety mandates and how other safety mandates might have a, an effect on people living with dementia. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so one of the other, as you had noted and Chuck very well addressed, the depression, but another very common feeling being experienced by a lot of people living with dementia and care partners is anxiety. Um, and that anxiety is disrupting sleep patterns. I've heard a lot more people talk about um, how their you know sleep is being impacted, and you know as Chuck mentioned, all of that then starts adding to the stress. And when our bodies are stressed, we're producing more cortisol um, and and other. Uh, neurotransmitter chemicals that then just kind of persist in, um, uh, you know, working against our well-being. One of the things that we didn't mention about uh, COVID is that states vary in their safety mandates. So there's not a consistency across the country. And, you know, that just adds, I think, to the confusion for all of us but especially so for people living with dementia. And there's variability, you know, as different um, governors, you know, decide on uh, changes because right now we're in a a surge and so things have gotten um, tightened back up. So all of these kinds of things and then, you know, the uncertainty for how long this is going to last um, make this just triply confusing if you're living with dementia. Which is one of the reasons why information and support is so important, not only for individuals who are living with dementia, but their care partners and families. Uh, Would you agree, Chuck, you had mentioned already about communication, but maybe you can elaborate on why it's so important. I think um, just the communication that during the, especially during this pandemic and, and in caregiving just on its own, um, you can get into a, a rut where you just feel like you're totally alone, you know, and everything you do is for this. So you have to be able to correspond with people, to talk with people, to have some type of, of interaction, um, to be able to ask questions, you know, that especially, you know, with, with people living with dementia, because we have days where 
we may be more severe one day than the next day. Um, well, what that does, it, it can scare caregivers that, you know, are, are, are we losing him? Is, is this permanent? And to be able to talk with other people that have gone through it, that, you know, to get that support. No, no, it's just, you know, wait and see what he has, you know, how he is tomorrow, how she is tomorrow. Um, because some of these diseases have different mm -hmm. symptoms and some of them can, can be day to day. Uh, depending on a stress level, like uh, Karen said, depending on sleep, um, that they may have sleep issues where they're not resting at night. So their symptoms are uh, uh, intensified. Well, all of these things, you know, they brew questions in, in people's minds. What's going on? Is this permanent? And if, if you don't know what's going, you know, if you don't know exactly what it is, then your mind is going to say, oh, well, you know, and the, the depression, everything is going to get worse. Or if you can talk with somebody saying, yeah, we've been through this. Uh, we've been through it before, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and give them some hope and some understanding. Um, because the communication, that, like I said in the beginning, this, this is a family disease. And everybody has to be talking with everybody else. And that's including, you know, care partners and stuff with the outside people to get information about what's going on so that they understand and they can deal with it. And the communication between the, the, the caregiver and the person with the disease is essential so that we, they can ask questions, you know, hopefully they were in a, and you know, they, they, they can ask them about their symptoms. Are you not sleeping at night? you know, and ask them about things to, to get them clarified. Because if you don't know, then you can't help with a basic issue. And severe symptoms might be nothing more than they're not sleeping at night. They're not sleeping at night because maybe they have a backache and it can be that, that simple. Maybe it's hot and they can't sleep. Um, but, you know, to, to keep these small little things that have an effect on people with dementia, to keep them from getting into severe entities that, you know, causes a whole family um, so much stress and so much anxiety. Well, in fact, you're getting into a good, and I wanted to ask Karen to kind of elaborate about the care partners or caregivers. Uh, talk a little bit more about that, Karen, how COVID is affecting the physical and mental well-being of care partners. I think sometimes the care partners think that, you know, am I the only one dealing with this? And I think it's important to share what what possible situations might care partners be dealing with, both mentally and physically. What would you say? Well, this has been very challenging for them on so many different levels. So, for example, maybe they were um, participating in a memory cafe or a different support uh, group. And, you know, all of a sudden, none of that stuff was happening. And lots of programs and things went uh, onto Zoom and online, but many of the care partners have never used Zoom before. Uh, we at the Dementia Action Alliance have actually been using Zoom now for eight years. So it's something that we had long found uh, to be a, a terrific resource. 
but most people didn't have experience. So now they're trying to figure out the whole world of, you know, how do we um, connect and do things online? And if they're not tech savvy like me, <laughs> who, who I'm, I call myself a tech, techno bimbo, um, you know, just that adds to the level of stress. And then if they have, for example, uh, school age children and the impact that all that has. So now they're trying to um, support uh, and, you know, provide assistance for a family member living with dementia and then, you know, sort of de facto running a, an online, um, you know, school program at home. You know, you can just imagine what has been going on for them. And one of the things that we did very early on was uh, to create more online weekly discussion groups. Now, I know that doesn't do anything for those who, who may have um, a discomfort with using technology, but, you know, when there's no other way to connect, um, you, you know, there... Zoom has, we, we found it to be really terrific. As I said, we've been using it for eight years. And one of our board members is a geriatric psychiatrist. And one of the discussion programs that we added was a weekly drop-in with Dr. Susan. And in the beginning, they were asking all kinds of questions about, you know, COVID and infection transmission and, you know, safe ways of, hygiene and all of that, but that pretty quickly, you know, within about two weeks morphed into how do we just live, you know, our everyday life? How do we, um, you know, take the anxiety that we're feeling and, you know, be, be more productive? And one of the things that um, this board member, Susan Wary, had experience in is something called post-traumatic growth, which is the polar opposite of post-traumatic stress. So that you can take trying and difficult times, you know, and find the um, find the good in things. And sometimes it can be, you know, something very simple. Um, so she sort of morphed those discussions into proactive ways of dealing with COVID. And it's been very successful. And Chuck, did you want to add anything to what Karen said about assistance and support for caregivers or care partners? I think the more they can communicate with other care partners um, and even talking with other people with dementia to answer questions, I think I'll, you know that, that helps so much with the anxiety and, and the the frustration that they have to deal with, uh, because caregiving is something that um, is, is not fun. It's one of the hardest jobs somebody will ever have to do. And it's this is one disease where you have to watch your, lo your loved one die twice. And so anything that can be done for them to eliminate that stress and, and anxiety um, needs to be done. Okay. Well, one of the things that I wanted to have our listeners be more familiar with and knowledgeable about is the Dementia Action Alliance. So, Karen, tell us about that organization and how does it differ from other organizations that focus on dementia? 
We are a charitable 501c3 organization that was founded in, I, I'm a co-founder of it, was founded in 1996. So 2021 will be our 25th anniversary. So we've been around for a long time. And our focus is to create a better society in which to live with dementia. Sadly, it is a health condition that is saddled with a lot of misunderstanding and stigma, which is really, I've heard from lots of people and families living with dementia, um, you know, as challenging and difficult as the actual symptoms themselves. So what we focus on, and one of the things that we do very differently, is we have a very proactive mindset. Because what, what happens typically is people go to the doctor, they eventually get a diagnosis, and then that's it. The, the doctor doesn't give, or, or the office, you know, I mean, there's no information about how you continue and to go on living with this chronic long-term condition. You know, it feels like getting dropped off the cliff. So that's one of the things that we provide is information and support and connectivity, um, you know, to live proactively um, that people do. I mean, and the, the more purposeful and interesting things that people do, you know, that help support and buoy their own well-being, you know, the better they do with symptoms over time. We also champion accommodations, making accommodations and um, strategies for people living with dementia. So, for example, um, if restaurants sometimes can be, you know, back when we were eating in restaurants, but, you know, think about places you go that are very noisy. Well, if you're living with um, dementia, that noise can be very difficult to um, filter through. So, you know, when maybe you're just trying to listen to the conversation of the person you're there with, but it competes with everything else. And so, um, you know, strategies could be, you know, to go at a, a you know low attendance time so that there isn't as much noise or ask to be seated in an area, you know, that is um, more quiet. Accommodations. So, for example, um, people who've been living with dementia that have had to be hospitalized, not necessarily with COVID, but maybe some other acute um, conditions, if they don't have a care partner there, you know, the medical team coming in, talking to them, asking questions, you know, giving feedback, without somebody there, you know, they're at loss. So an accommodation, especially for them, is to make sure that, you know, when the doctor is there, somebody, even if it's bringing somebody in via Zoom, um, we create pathways to connect and engage others. As um, Chuck mentioned, that peer support is so very important. And then identifying beneficial technologies um, that can help. So those are um, some of the things that our organization does. We, we focus on people living with dementia and um, families. We are not at all involved in uh, any of the cure components. And Karen, we'll ask you this at the end of the program as well, but can you give us that website so that uh, people can jot it down and in case they miss it? 
for the first time, they'll get it again? Yes, thank you. It's www.daanow.org. Okay, and that is a an organization that people around the country can also access? Absolutely. Actually, people from around the world, um, you know, access, which is one of the reasons that we got on Zoom so many years ago, is people all over the world living with dementia uh, use Zoom. So it's a common way to get together. Uh, so yes, we we share resources um, from places outside of this country, um, you know, as well as uh, resources here within. And speaking of resources, Chuck, given the fact that we've been talking a lot about COVID-19, is DAA, the, the alliance, is, is it also helping care partners and families of, of, of people who are living with dementia? And if so, how? We're trying to do as much as we can. On our website, um, I've got a podcast that uh, I'm honored to do called This Dementia Life. And we have about, it's about 25 minutes and it's interviews with uh, amazing people living a positive life with dementia. Um, I've had one gentleman that I'm very close friends with that started painting after his diagnosis. And he's a, he's a wonderful painter. Um, and it, it's with people, it's, it's doctors and authors and artists and people who, you know, are doing just amazing things. And then also we have one called uh, Dementia Discussions, where it's a live discussion every Thursday, where everybody can come on, people with uh, um, uh, dementia, people, you know, care partners, family members. And each, each Thursday is topiced, and we answer all kinds of questions. We have good discussions. We have uh, a lot of times have professionals come on to answer questions. Um, we have a resource page you know, where they can get all kind of information about uh, um, other, other entities that help with dementia, you know, to provide a, a place where they can get information which helps so much with, with dealing with this and to know that, you know, there is life after a diagnosis. And that's one of the main reasons that I'm involved with DAA. I understand in fact, I actually looked on your website about this, that volunteers can be involved uh, with uh, the Alliance. How, how does that happen? What, what can people do to volunteer? Absolutely. In fact, um, that's one of the wonderful things about the organization is how many volunteers we have that, um, you know, both lend their skills and expertise, but also community. It just builds, you know, a wider community among us all. And some of the things that volunteers can get involved with is um, we have three different work groups that meet monthly uh, on Zoom, and they're on uh, significant topic areas that we are focused on. So the arts and dementia, is one, technology and dementia is the second, and then optimizing well-being is the third. So that is one. And then we just started a program this fall with online engagements. So there are lots of engaging things that people can do online, but most of them are passive activities where, you know, maybe you can watch the opera or, you know, do 
uh, tours virtually. But what was missing were things that you could do live and engage and interact with others. And so we started a program uh, to do that and had 18 different um, kinds of programs that were offered. And in fact, Chuck and um, uh, another individual on our advisory board, uh, their program was uh, uh, the sports club. And so people would get on and they would talk about, you know, pick a particular sport. Um, and, you know, that was a lot of fun. So those are um, some of the volunteer things, as Chuck mentioned, um, you know, our podcasts, if people have expertise and interest in that, we can always use help with that, um, social media and messaging. So probably the best way is, um, you know, if the people are interested on our website, daanow.org, uh, we have a contact us. So just, you know, connect with us by phone or email and, um, you know, we can talk about what your interests might be. And what's, is there a telephone number that people can actually talk to a live person? Yes, uh-huh, and it's listed on the website. You mentioned about community groups. Are there some, right now, again, with COVID might be somewhat limiting, but are there some community groups that you're um, interacting with or co- you know, coordinating with that help not only the people living with dementia, but the care partners and families? There are, and uh, that's another uh, resource and, um, you know, something to look. Now, it's not necessarily in every community, but uh, Chuck and he can talk a little later on about what they're doing with Dementia Friendly Nevada. They have a a robust and wonderful um, community uh, group going with that. There are uh, different dementia-friendly initiatives in um, cities and cities. collection of counties, you know, throughout the country. There are memory cafes, which have um, more online um, and, you know, are doing wonderful things. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing just um, ne- like next door, uh, one of the online w- ways that um, people can connect. Uh, I've seen all kinds of um, next or, uh, yeah, next door. I've seen um, people writing and saying, oh, if you're living with dementia in my neighborhood, let me know. You know, I'd love to grocery shop or do anything I can to help you. So we're seeing, you know, these spontaneous um, acts of kindness in the community, which is really heartwarming. And that resource center, Chuck mentioned about it, and so did you. Are, are there materials on the from the resource center that people can copy or print off? And is there a cost? Um, What would listeners want to know about the Resource Center, Karen? Yes. Well, if you go onto our website, uh, across the top navigation bar, one of the choices is the Resources Center. And everything on there listed is, I mean, there's no charge to access or use any of that information. We provide it as uh, a free public service. And it's divided up into different topic areas. So, you know, here are helpful websites, here are helpful blogs, here are books, um, technologies, apps. Um, so hopefully it's it's nicely organized. We've added uh, a whole separate portal for COVID-related support materials. Uh, and there is a uh, printout 
that, that you can do. Uh, and we especially recommend, um, you know, if your doctor is not giving you information, to print that out and, and bring it to your physician's office so that they can have an idea of what is helpful for people and families living with dementia. Sounds like a good resource for lots of people. That's why it's called the Resource Center. Um, We're getting low on time, but I did want to hear, Chuck, you are, of course, talking with us from Las Vegas, Nevada, and you are a part of Dementia Friendly Nevada. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more of the kind of activities of the organization, that organization, and uh, you kind of mentioned it, but I'd like to hear a little bit more. You are a co-host of an online discussion. Tell us about that. Yes, um, I've had the honor of working with uh, Dr. Jennifer Carson from the University of Reno, who is the director of Dementia Friendly Nevada. And we started our um, Zoom chat about five months ago. And it's just, um, there's no set format. People come on and we just, um, we decide internally what we want to talk about. And then, you know, everybody gets a chance to talk and everybody gets to ask questions and give their opinions. And it's such a hit that there's probably about 15, over 15 people that are on it right now on a weekly basis that they're, um, instead of one, we're gonna have two now, one on Mondays and one on Fridays. Uh, it, it's, so, um, it's so popular. Um, working with uh, Dementia Friendly Nevada, you know, we, um, we have every gambit of uh, rural, urban, uh, Native American, uh, African American, you know, a, a complete montage of, of cultures here in Nevada. And we try to work with every single one of them, um, trying to get, you know, the point out of uh, information that, um, number one, is you can live a, a good life after a diagnosis. It's, you know, there's not a um, expiration date that they insert on you when you are diagnosed that you can do things you want to do. You may not do them the same way, but uh, it's just a complete positive output of information. And there is um, multiple agencies, the Alzheimer's Association, the, the Department of Aging are all part of this dementia friendly. And um, the main thing is they have people living with dementia you know, on the board, and we are out, and we are active members. Well, it sounds like a, a very good opportunity, and I would assume that there might be this kind of organization in other states as well. Do you know? Yes, there is. Um, I know there's one in Colorado. Um, there's a group in Michigan. Um, they're fairly small. Almost all, all of us are, but we're all growing, and we're starting to work together to get a uh, national platform for people, you know, to, to get off the tragedy narrative of, and not, you know, take, pull us out of the shadows that it's not, you know, this big black cloud that's over your, from the day that you're diagnosed and um, everybody is kind of trying to work together. So it's up and coming, going to be hearing a lot more about it. Well, good for you. And, and I just wanted to ask Karen one more time to give the, uh, the DAA address, the, the website address. And Karen, was there any other resources that you would recommend uh, for our listeners to check out? 
Well, I think we've got them pretty well organized. There are a lot of different resources. One of the things, um, one of the resources is we have a, a small store on our website and we have two uh, booklets. Uh, both are uh, produced either with people living with dementia or care partners. The one booklet is focused on, um, you know, for people who've been fairly newly diagnosed um, with how you live. And the other is focused um, for uh, friends and family members. Uh, and that you can access through our store on the website. And that address, again, is daanow.org. Okay. Well, I want to thank Karen Love and Chuck McClatchy with the Dementia Action Alliance and Dementia Friendly Nevada for joining me today. And if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit the website at www.agingmattersonline.com. If you get to this website and you visit it, you'll find all the Aging Matters radio and TV show content right in one place, and you will also find out about the Aging Matters podcast on Apple and Spotify, which this program will be on. And in fact, to stay tuned to all kinds of activities that Aging Matters is doing, I ask you to subscribe to the the monthly newsletter, and that way you'll get email updates about new radio shows and TV episodes. So be sure to do that. I want to thank Robert Winship for handling the technical aspects of today's program, And of course, as always, thank you for listening to Aging Matters. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org.